0: Instead, grab your bible turn to matthew chapter 20 matthew chapter 20 uh we started the year in this series called make room felt like this was the the theme that god had for our church as we started the year little did i know when we started saying hey we're going to make room uh that my mom was going to pass away at the beginning of 2023 There's going to be an emptiness in a role in my life little did i know That our youth pastor was going to step down. Uh, I messaged our elders Wednesday when I found out. So this isn't what I had in mind when I said let's make room in 2023. But God knew. God knew what was going to be coming uh, and what was going to be hitting. So he is not caught off guard even when we are. Um, And so we've been learning how to make room, how to create intentional emptiness in our life for God to do something bigger, for God to do something greater, for God to do something deeper than what we've experienced to this point. We don't want to be satisfied with what God's done. We're grateful for what God's done. We celebrate what God's done, but I want to see him do more. I want to see him do more in me. I want to see him do more in our church. I want to see him do more in our city. I want to see him do more in our country. So we don't want to be satisfied with where we are, but we want to celebrate what he's done. Does that make sense? So we we spent a few weeks kind of building some foundation, what does it mean to make room, and then we've shifted gears to start looking at some specifics. So we spent the last two weeks looking at how to make room in our prayer life. Today in part eight, I want to challenge you to make room to serve. Make room to serve. The reality is we all lead some busy lives, don't we? We have filled up our calendars and our schedules, and we all have a lot of great reasons not to serve. What I want to do today is I want to give you some great reasons to serve. We can all find reasons not to, but I believe that God has created each of us to be servants. That he has called each of us to be servants. That Jesus came to model serving. And so before I get into this message, I want to make sure I get a couple of disclaimers out there. Uh, One of them is this. We're going to talk today in the context of serving at City Church. We're going to look at how to serve here, what happens when you serve here, the impact that's made when you serve here. Please understand everything we say applies far beyond city church. I don't believe for a second that the only place God has called you to serve is the church. I don't believe for a second that this is all He's asked you to do. I I reject that notion. I do believe that if God has called you to a church, whether it's city church or any other church, part of your calling to that church is to be involved, is to serve. That's something that He asks for from each of us. And so I believe you're called. If you're here, you mean we've got a role for you to play. We've got an opportunity for you to serve, for you to be a part of something. But understand, the Holy Spirit is going to use this to apply to your workplace, to apply to your family, to apply to your neighborhood. Like, he's called us to be servants in, in many contexts, not just in the context of City Church. But we're going to talk about this context for, for a couple of reasons. And understand this, too, that this... Message was already lined up before anything happened this week. This is not like, oh man, we lost a youth pastor, we need somebody to step up. Please don't don't misinterpret the motivations of this. Um, But again, God knew where we would be. So we're going to talk about serving. Um, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus has an interesting encounter, an interesting experience. What we're going to see here uh, is is funny to me uh, because the church hasn't even started yet. Jesus has recruited 12 disciples, he's building them, he's developing them, he's pouring into them to raise them up to start the church. The official start of the church is the day of Pentecost. When God sends the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people get saved. That's the, the start of the church of Jesus Christ. So we're pre-church, we're in the PC era. Uh, and even already in the pre-church era, even as there's only 12 followers of Jesus, at this point in time, there's already drama. Already drama with the people who walk with Jesus every day, with the people who follow Jesus, the people who listen to Jesus, the people who've seen Jesus feed 5,000 with some loaves and some fish, the ones who've seen him step out on water and walk across the water, the ones who've seen him speak to a dead man and bring him back to life, even they had drama. And that encourages me, because we got human nature and we deal with drama, don't we? And so this is what happens in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, it says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons." came to Jesus. If you're not familiar, Zebedee's sons are James and John. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And so these were two of the three closest disciples to Jesus. They were brothers. Uh, and, and I do find it interesting that the Bible records their dad's name, but not their mom's name. And I think this story may help us understand why it doesn't record her name. And so it says, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down... Ask a favor of him. I I, I love the irony here because she's going to assume a posture of humility while asking a question of pride. She's going to publicly look very humble. She's kneeling before Jesus, but she's going to ask something of Jesus out of the pride of her mother's heart. What is it you want, Jesus asked. I, I love Jesus that he asks, even though he knows. He wants us to speak it out. Right? Like Jesus could have just addressed the issue of her heart. He could have already started dealing with what's going on with her. But he wants her to speak it out so that, so that she knows this is what I've actually asked of you. Also, it creates a teachable moment for him to deal with the entire team, not just with her. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant, that one of these two sons of mine would sit on your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. She says, Look, Jesus, you got an awesome team you got 12 people who are incredible, but you and I both know these two are their favorite of them all. These are the ones that, that deserve the most honor. They're the ones who are working the hardest. They're the ones with the most giftings. So, so give them the place of honor over all the rest. Now Now, I'm picking on Zebedee's wife here, James and John's mom here. The reality is as parents, we all do this in some kind of way. Right? We, we all want our kid to be the best, to be the favorite, to be the one who, who shines. And so, so I can identify with her a little bit in this. Um, but notice that she came with James and John. James and John didn't stop this. She's the one speaking it out. But they are at least tacitly approving of what she's doing, if not actually being the ones, mom, go talk to him. Right? So, so they are behind this. They are for this. Verse 22. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them wonder how many times we ask something and Jesus goes, you don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, you don't even know what you're asking for. You don't even know what this would require for me to handle this. Then Jesus looks at James and John and he says this. He says, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? He's referring to his death. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die for this cause. Are you ready to do this? And they said, we can. Now, Jesus told mom, you don't know what you're asking. He probably could have told them, you don't know what you're answering. Right? You, you don't know what you're volunteering for. You don't know what you're signing up for. I think it's really interesting, too, that it's James and John in this situation that he says, hey, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Because James is actually the first disciple who is martyred, the first one who dies for the cause of Christ. Very early in the book of Acts, we see James have his head cut off. The first disciple, the first one of the 12 who dies for Jesus. He's actually the second one who died because Judas killed himself, but that's a separate category, right? But but James is the first one who has his life taken by the Roman Empire uh, for following Jesus. John, on the other hand, is the only one who doesn't. He's the only one who actually dies of natural causes. Now, that wasn't for lack of attempt on the Roman Empire's uh, part. Church history teaches us that Rome actually threw John into a pot of boiling oil to burn him alive. But God just spared him like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so John survived. They couldn't take John's life. It wasn't for lack of trying. Uh, It's because God just said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. But he asked the same question to James and John. He says, can you? He doesn't say what's going to happen to them, but he says, I need to know, are you able to go where I'm going? You need to know, are you willing to go where I'm going? And they said, yes. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You're going to experience the persecution. You're going to experience the fear of dying. You're going to experience the pain, but I'm not going to necessarily let each of you experience it. Your lives will be different. But he says, to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my Father. I love Jesus. Jesus was always on mission. Jesus never forgot who he was. He never forgot his role. He never forgot his place. Jesus didn't come to earth, get a bunch of followers, have thousands who he's feeding and get a big head. And say all of a sudden this is about me. Jesus remembered everything he was doing was for something bigger was to submit to the Father's will, not even for his glory. If there's anybody who ever had the right to get the big head, it was Jesus, right? If there's anybody who ever had a right to make it about him, it was Christ. But even he said, no, I don't have the right to do this. I don't have the place for this. This is my father's responsibility. Verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Usually in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when it talks about the disciples, it refers to the twelve. But all of a sudden, we don't have the 12, we have the 10. Why is that? Because all of a sudden, we have division. We got the two, and we got the 10. You know, the enemy is so good at this. If he can't keep you from serving Jesus, he's going to keep you from serving about Jesus. If he can't keep you from serving Jesus, if you're going to serve Jesus, he's going to do everything he can to make sure that you're not serving for Jesus, you're serving for yourself. And so all of a sudden, this group that was once 12 is now 10 and 2. There's division that comes in. I, I, I love this because it makes me feel better about the modern church. It makes me feel better about us because we pop into divisions all the time and we separate into denominations and into, man, we believe this and you believe that. And we got all this stuff where we form all these teams. But look what Jesus does. Verse 25, it said, Jesus called them together. I'm not going to let there be 10 and 2. We're going to be 1 I believe this is Jesus' plan for all church division. Is he's going to call us together. He wants us to be one. So he called them together and he said this. He said, you know. Everybody say, you know. you know. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he says, not so with you. The world operates one way. You've seen it done this way your whole life. This is all you've known. This is what you've grown up in. This is what you've witnessed. But my kingdom operates differently. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that he gave his life as a ransom for many and that he modeled serving for us. And so today, God, we pray that you use our time together to make us more like Jesus, make us better servants, make us deeper servants, make us more cheerful in the opportunity to serve. And God, I pray for all those who are already serving, already using their gifts, their time, their talent, their treasure to build your kingdom. God, I pray that they would be blessed for it, that they would be encouraged in it, Father God, that they would see the incredible impact that it makes. When we serve Jesus and we thank you for it, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. What I want to do today is I want to kind of give a message in two parts. The first part we're going to talk about five thoughts on serving. We're going to go back through this passage we just read and and see five things that serving does for us, five impacts that serving makes in our life. And and then I want to look at six things that serving does, uh, six ways that it blesses people, six people that are blessed when we serve. So, So walk with me through this. The first thing I I believe so strongly is that serving is the antidote to pride. Serving is the antidote to pride. James and John's mom comes with them. We we, kind of put the blame on her, but I believe that they're pretty responsible here as well. But she comes with them with a prideful question for Jesus. I want my sons to be glorified. I want my sons to be honored. And what, what parents wouldn't want this? We just may not all have the audacity to ask, right? <laughs> like any of us would say, yeah, sign me up if that's on the table. Put my kid there. That would be incredible. Um, we just don't necessarily go before Jesus and make the request. Uh, but she spoke out what probably other moms in the group were also thinking, what she wanted for her kids. Uh, and James and John are right over there. It's a pride issue. It's a glorify me, exalt me, rather than glorify Jesus request, and as Jesus deals with the pride, he points them to serve. Rather than talking about humility, rather than talking about humbling themselves, rather than talking about this heart issue, Jesus connects pride with serving. See, I believe that the antidote to pride is to serve. Look with me at verse 25. It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. There may be a world system out there that you're very familiar with that's very comfortable to you. That that feels natural and normal and the default. But he says, I don't have anything to do with that system. Man, my kingdom operates differently. See, what happens, what's happening here is the disciples think that Jesus came to create another kingdom, but Jesus didn't come to create another kingdom. Jesus came to create a different kingdom. You see what I'm saying? Jesus didn't come to just set up, hey, now we're going to be in charge, and we're going to operate the same way that all these other people do when they're in charge. It's just we're going to be in charge. And that's what the disciples thought, that, hey, we're going to be running things. We're going to be lording it over people. We're going to have authority, and people are going to bow down before us. And Jesus says, no, I didn't come to create another kingdom like what you see out here. I came to create a kingdom like operates up there, and that kingdom is totally different. And so he gives them the antidote to the default mode of pride, of lording things over others, of dominating others, he says, that's not the way it's gonna be in my kingdom. Recently somebody asked me, hey, Pastor Troy, you've shared a number of times about when you were younger and challenges you had with pride and pride issues that you had. Like, how did how did you work through that? How did how did you come past it? And, and so let me preface with this. I don't think I'm, like, on the other side. I don't think, like, hey, I don't ever deal with pride anymore. I'm past that. Like, I'm I'm not Moses. Look at me. I'm the most humble man in the world. Uh, I'm not at that place. Uh, There are still times where pride creeps up, where where pride wants to make me feel good about what I've done or who I am, and I've got to deal with that. So please don't misunderstand me. Um, I've certainly come a long way when it comes to this. God's taught me a lot. And so the answer that I gave them is... uh, Well, let me say this. So so the worst season of life for pride for me, not the only season, but the worst was Bible college. I I went to Bible college, and I thought I understood everything. I knew all the theology. I knew the way that the church was supposed to run. And so God had put me in that school to educate my professors. Uh, And so I went to class looking to pick a fight, looking for a reason to argue, looking for something they taught that didn't line up with my theology. And you know what I did? I missed out on so much that God wanted to teach pride in my heart, I missed out, I spent a lot of money that didn't need to be spent, that didn't benefit because of the pride in my heart. And so how did I get past that? Well, from that season of life, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, I became an intern at what at that point in time was the largest youth ministry in North America, it was called 180, we ran. Uh, When I got there, we had about 1,800 students every week. While I was there, we grew to about 2,500 students every week. It was just an, an incredible thing that God was doing, this thing that God was breathing on. Uh, and I came in at the, at the lowest level, at the intern level. And in my class, we had eight interns. There were four guys and four girls. And I don't know everything that the female interns had to do while we were doing the guy stuff. But I know what the guy stuff was. Uh, and it wasn't preaching and teaching. Uh, it wasn't getting up and, and being the center of attention. There were many, many days in our internship where we didn't even know this coming in. But they'd be like, okay, we need you guys to go lay sod today. They, were building a, they had a Christian school, but they were building ball fields for the Christian school, baseball field and football field. And so here I am. I'm ready to be a youth pastor. I'm ready to learn, lean, how, learn how to use this amazing youth ministry. Uh, and we're out there spending all day in the sun in Oklahoma laying sod. Uh, not what I thought I was signing up for. Uh, we, they were building a new youth facility. They were building a youth facility at that point in time. I think it was about $6.6 million building project. Uh, this was in 2002, so you can do the inflation math on that if you want to. It was this massive, incredible facility, multi-levels. Uh, and they were putting in carpet squares, sort of similar to what we have in here, except I think these are 12 by 12 or 13 by 13. Um, these were 18 by 18. So they were big, and we had to haul these carpet squares upstairs, just stacks of them. Trip. After trip, after trip, after trip up the stairs. And I can tell you, I wish that I carried those carpet squares up the stairs, praying over them. I wish I could say I was thanking God for every student who will walk on this. And the fact that lost people are going to step on these squares and they're going to sense the presence of God. And he's going to change their heart. And he's going to spark revival in Tulsa. I wish that was what I did, but that's not what I did. I carried those carpet squares up those stairs, grumbling. And complaining and probably cussing under my breath uh, and, and not real happy. Questioning, God, is this what I signed up for? God, God, I wanted to learn how to be a youth pastor. God, I want to learn how to impact teenagers' lives. And I'm playing sod. I, I'm carrying carpet squares. God, this isn't what I thought you had for me. But in those long days, God started to squash that pride. He started to teach me. That whatever opportunity I give you to build my kingdom is better than what you deserve. Man, any opportunity I give you is a blessing. And I need you to grab it with a cheerful heart. I need you to embrace it. I need you to pour your whole heart into it. Because, yeah, I've got some bigger opportunities coming for you. But you'll never get those bigger opportunities if you don't learn to have humility in the small opportunities. If you can't be faithful and small, how can I ever make you lord over much? See, serving is the antidote. To pride. Man, it does something in our heart. Secondly, second thought about serving is that God's kingdom feels upside down. When I first started get, getting this concept, I used to teach this differently. I would say God's kingdom is upside down, but I don't think that's true. I actually believe God's kingdom is right side up. It's just that our kingdoms are upside down. And so our default mode, we're used to walking upside down. We're used to things being flipped. And so because we're oriented to this, that when we actually experience it God's way, it feels disorienting. It feels woozy. You ever gone on a a roller coaster and gone upside down? Man, it, it throws you off a bit, right? Like I remember the first time I did the ring of fire. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's just one just has a little circle. And, and I was scared to death, but the girl that I liked went on that thing. So I was going on that thing, right? Like I wasn't going to be the coward. Uh, and I'm like praying in the spirit the whole way around. God, keep me alive. Uh, don't let this thing like pop out and me fall out of here. But, but it's, it's disorienting to go upside down. Sometimes God's kingdom feels a little disorienting to our flesh. It feels a little unnatural. It feels like things are, are flipped. The reality is this is the way God designed it. This is the way God put it in the in the garden, but when sin came in, everything got disoriented, everything got perverted, everything got corrupted, and so now our default is to the contrary to the ways of God rather than to embrace the ways of God. So God's kingdom feels upside down. Look at what he says. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, how many of us say, yeah, I want to be great, right? Man, I want to be great. I mean, I would love to get to heaven and Jesus say, well done, my great and faithful servant. I'm going to look at everybody else. Gonna, That's right. What's up? Right? It's obviously the wrong heart. I'm just kidding. But but of course, I want to make a great impact. I want my life to have great meaning. I I want God to use me in great ways. Of course I do. He says, if you want to be great, and I believe, by the way, each of us has that desire inside of us. I believe that's a God desire. I believe we all want our life to mean something. We all want our legacy to, to be impactful. He says, if you want to be great, you must be the servant. That's not what the disciples were accustomed to. They thought servants were low. This servant was insignificant the servant was the one who missed out on something great in life but jesus says my kingdom operates differently to you the servant may be nobody but to me the servant is the greatest so god's f- kingdom feels upside down thirdly the road to greatness is paved with serving we the difference between where we are today and the greatness that god created us for designed us for called us to is the steps of serving that we need to take along the Man, that he's got those opportunities for us. Can I just say this too? Please understand. There's some incredible servants in this room. This, this is not like a disobedient church. This is not a church that's like dealing with pride and nobody wants to serve and nobody wants to do anything. This, this is the opposite of this. You guys are walking in this. The vast majority of our church has got this. Uh, this. This is not me cracking the whip. Man, we need to beat you guys into shape and get this right. This is this is encouraging you. Keep doing what you're doing. Man, you're getting it, you're grasping it, you're walking in it. Let's go. But the road to greatness is paved with serving. Matthew 20, verse 27 says this. says, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Isn't it amazing how competitive we are? Uh, man, I, I don't know that anything could speak to me more than saying whoever wants to be first. Uh, that, 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 is, that is me to a T. I want to be first. I want to win. I want to root for the team that wins. Like, I, I, Just put me on the winning side. My, my youngest child, Noah, is three years old. And I don't know how this is even possible, but this kid is already massively competitive. Uh, his room is upstairs. Every time we go up the stairs, he wants to race up the stairs. Spoiler alert, the three-year-old wins. Uh, like he beats me to the top. Every time he gets to the top, he goes, me beats you, Dad. Uh, like He's already taunting me in his victory. Uh, our eight-year-old Judah has, has gotten into playing chess. So I've been playing chess with Judah and a little bit with Alexar, six-year-old, and, and Noah – course, has no clue how to play chess, but he still wants to pick a team. And so every time we play, he's going to choose somebody's team, and sometimes he'll switch halfway through. Uh, but um, yesterday, I was getting ready to play with Judah, and he goes, me on Judah's team. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you're on Judah's team, that's cool. And he goes, you going down, dad. And I'm like, how does a three-year-old know to tell his dad he's going down? Like, where does this even come from? Like, obviously there's some over-competitiveness in our family, pray for us. Uh, but, but he's already got this there's something in us that wants to be first. Man, there's something in us that, that doesn't, I mean, if you're not first, you're last, right? Like I'm going for first. I'm going after first with all my heart. And so Jesus speaks to that. He doesn't say don't want try to be first. He says if you want to be first, you got to become like a slave. Now he's not talking actual literal slavery. He's talking slavery of your heart that, man, I am committed to God's glory above all else and I'm going to lay down my life, my priorities, my convenience and I'm going to serve others. I'm going to live as though I were a slave doing what other people need rather than what I desire. What what an incredible call. And then Jesus closes it with this. He says, just as the son of man, you could just say just as I, did not come to be served but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, because I'm the king and you're the lowly servants, I'm going to make you serve. He says, because I'm your leader and you choose to be my disciples. You choose to follow me. If you're following me, you're going to serve because I came to serve. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we're called to. We are going to be servants. And so the fourth thought on serving is this, is that serving is just contrary to my human nature. My human nature wants greatness. My human nature wants firstness. My human nature wants other people to revolve around me for other people to serve me. But Jesus says, I'm calling you to be a servant. One last thought for you on serving before we talk about the incredible impact that it makes. Number five. Serving takes the focus off myself. Serving takes the focus off myself. See, when I'm the one calling the shots and telling everybody else what to do, I can keep the focus on me. This is my heart, my idea, my vision. But when I lay down my life to serve somebody else, I'm not the center. I'm not the focus. The attention's on them. Ultimately, the attention's on Jesus. And so serving takes the focus off of me an incredible thing it's something that God has ordained for all of us to walk in so now let me give you six ways that serving is a blessing you're going to know this first one of these very obviously off the the beginning um, but I think some of these maybe you've never fully considered or thought of and so I want to encourage you today Uh, again the vast majority of people in this room you're already serving at City Church thank you those of you who aren't even serving at City Church, you're probably serving in other ways as well. So I'm not like trying to dismiss you or be like, hey, you're a failure. You miss God. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but again, we're going to put this in the City Church context. So six ways of serving is a blessing. Number one, this is the obvious one, the easy one. Serving blesses the ones who are served. So for example, right now in Kid City, there are three crazy southern children uh, and one especially crazy three-year-old. Uh, and there are teachers in there serving my kids, loving my kids. Uh, pointing my kids to Jesus, putting up with my kid whining and complaining, or whatever they happen to be doing by second service, Judah gets a little tired. Uh, He's not always like, yes, two services. Sometimes he's dealing with that, that's okay. We're working on that. Somebody's in there loving on my kid for no glory. Nobody's standing up, giving them a standing ovation. Nobody's like, man, what an awesome job you did teaching today, right? But they're pointing my kid to Jesus. So Judah is being served. Alexa is being served. Noah is being served. Your kids, if they're in Kid City, they're being served today. This is the obvious, the easy one, right? This is the one that we all know. But let me make some other connections for you. Serving doesn't just bless the ones who are served. Secondly, serving blesses the families of the ones who are served. It's not just my kids who are blessed because somebody's in Kid City. It's me, who's blessed? I don't have to worry about Noah running laps on stage while I'm trying to preach, right? Like, I don't have to worry about, man, is my kid going to run out in the parking lot? Is somebody going to take them? Like, because somebody sacrifices their Sunday morning, it doesn't just bless Judah, Alexa, and Noah blesses Melody and Troy. Like, we're blessed because somebody is pouring into them, not just because somebody's keeping them alive, although thank you for that, but, but because somebody's Pointing them to Jesus. Somebody's affirming the stuff we're teaching them at home. We're modeling for them at home. Somebody else is coming alongside and saying, yes, Jesus really is true. Yes, Jesus really does love you. They're repeating those same themes that they're receiving. It's such a blessing to us. Now, for you, you may be like, man, I don't even love the worship, and I'm not really into the preaching, but I got an hour and a half of free babysitting, so I come to church so I can get a break from my kid. I don't know. That might be the case. But it's a blessing to the family, not just to the one who is served. Let me me take it to another level. The wife who comes to church, whose husband works on Sundays or just doesn't have interest in coming to church on Sundays. Because you serve, she hears from the word of God and she comes closer to Jesus. And you're actually blessing that husband who doesn't even come in the doors. You're making an impact on his life and you may never even see him or know his name. Not just the husband, not just the kids. You, you, you're blessing her coworkers who she goes to work with on Monday. She's a little more like Jesus. She's a little more patient. She's a little more tolerant. She's a little less quick to fly off the handle. She's a little less quick to fall apart. And I don't mean to just use a woman for that. That could be the guy. That could be anybody, right? Like, Like all of us, we're more like Jesus because we gather, because we worship, because we hear from God. And so you're blessing people that you're never even going to see. That you're never even going to know. You don't know the impact that you're making. But when you serve, it's not just the one that you serve that's blessed. It's their families and, and the other people they interact with. Thirdly, serving blesses the ones who are served under. So first service, Regina Calvin, our Kids City Director, she was in service with us. Because she had a team that was running the kids ministry that was filling those positions for her so she could actually hear from God for herself so she could be encouraged, so she could be blessed in the situation season. So you weren't just, those kid city people weren't just blessing those kids and those families, they're blessing Regina. Now we could use that for, for any department director. Dwindle's in here. He's our first impressions director. Man, when you serve, when you go to the front door and you love on people and you get to tell them great news, hey, we got donuts today, right? Like, man, you're, you're, you're blessing those people. But you're making the first impressions director feel a little more comfortable about life. Man, we got people in position. People are serving. We're in good shape. We got people in the media booth right now who are serving. So Tim and Stacy don't have to do everything. Uh, man, we, we love Tim and Stacey and we're grateful for Tim and Stacey, and they are crazy faithful. But I'm glad we got other people who can serve back there too. Thank you guys for serving under them, for being a blessing to those that you serve under. Fourth, serving blesses the ones who we serve alongside you ever heard the phrase many hands make light work you ever been in a position or an area whether it's at church or, or at work or somewhere else where there just wasn't enough people and you had to wear three do three people's jobs five people's jobs it's like man they just keep letting people go and not hiring anybody else and you just keep adding more and more responsibilities you know what i'm talking about and that's not the vision for the kingdom of god kingdom of god the vision is not that you have to die for the church jesus already died for the church the vision is that we do this together, that there's gifts and callings in each of us, and if each of us does our part, nobody's overburdened. Nobody's burned out. Nobody's destroyed in the process. But then, man, it's an encouragement to each other when we serve together. There's something about it, just being about a part of a team. There's something exciting about that. There's something that, that connects with us. Judah's only eight years old. He was on a basketball team uh, this spring, just had his last game last Saturday, and his team wasn't great. Like things were bad from the beginning. They named themselves the Sour Grapes while we were out of town, and Judah was not happy with that name. I'm like, yeah, it's probably not the name I would have picked either, but you know, we're, we're going to be Sour Grapes for the next seven games or however long the season is. Uh, so, not a good team. Judah didn't win a game all year. And, and we get to the last Saturday, he made one basket. Uh, like the second to last game before Saturday, he had made one shot. And, man, we celebrated that shot like Jesus himself had just walked in the room. Okay? We were so grateful that that one shot went in the goal and we had this one victory. Uh, and so last Saturday, he wakes up for his last game. And I'm just praying, God led you to make one more shot. Give, it, give him a second basket. And he comes to me and he's so excited to play and he's got his jersey on and he's ready to go. And he's like, Dad, I just really hope we win today. He wasn't worried about making another shot. He was worried about the team. There's something about being part of a team. There's something about having people that we're moving towards the same goal together. That we're, man, we're united. We're on the same mission. I'm so grateful that I get to be on your team. Man, that we get to do this together. That we get to walk this thing out. I love that my son cared about the team. Now the reality is we took another L. Uh, But he made one more shot. So we celebrated that one more shot. We were grateful for that one more shot. But you know what he wanted to talk about after the game was over? Man, I really wish we could have won. He wasn't concerned about him making a shot. He was concerned about the team. And man, I want my heart to be like my 8-year-old. I want to keep the focus off of me and on the team, on the mission that's in front of us. Man, I think that's such a beautiful thing. Serving blesses the ones who we serve alongside. Man, if you're on one of our teams today, find somebody who serves on your team and thank them for serving with you. Tell them how the way they serve encourages you, how you're better at what you do because you get to serve alongside them. I think that's a a beautiful thing. Number five, serving blesses the one who serves. It's not the reason why we serve, but you know you're blessed when you serve, right? You know, there's a blessing for you and on you when you're involved, when you serve, when you're a part of something. Jesus, 10 chapters before, what we just read in Matthew chapter 10 puts it this way. He he said, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, what is a prophet's reward and what is a righteous person's reward? I don't know. There's all kinds of theories out there. I don't think anybody's figured it out. Jesus, I know this. There's a reward Jesus has for hospitality. This is specifically speaking to hospitality, okay? And so there's a blessing on hospitality. That's a first impressions verse, okay? But look at what it says next. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus says there's a reward for doing something as basic as a cup of cold water to a kid. Now, we got some awesome people in our church who do more than give kids cups of cup of water, man, who go above and beyond that. And so if, there's, if you don't lose a reward for doing that, imagine what, you do, what reward you have for serving with them for hours on end, for, for changing diapers, for interceding for them and going before God on their behalf and praying that name out in front of Jesus. Imagine what the reward is for those who serve in that way. See, there's a reward for serving. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not why we serve. But I think it's cool that Jesus still mentions, look, you're going to be blessed because you serve. You're going to be blessed if you serve. Serving does other things for us. It gives us fulfillment. It gives us purpose. It makes an impact. Now, because of the nature of my position, I I, I get a lot of blessings that sometimes I don't do a great job of sharing with the church. So, So, for instance, last week at the end of our service here in second service, we did a fresh start opportunity, a chance for people to receive Jesus. Two people gave their life to Jesus last week amazing thing and sometimes when we do that like it's somebody who's raised their hand like 16 times already and it's like okay god's moving on their heart and we're going to celebrate that and but that's probably not the moment that they just received jesus And, and and sometimes when we do it it's somebody that we've been praying for for months and last week man there was a little hand that went up of a girl that we've been standing for god Before God on her behalf for a long time, there was another person who gave their life to Jesus last week who had been away for a long time and come back, and and just seeing those two hands, it was just like, yes, this is why we do what we do. Can I tell you, it made that Sunday worth it. It made preaching two services worth it. It made showing up at 7 o'clock worth it. It made getting up at 5 worth it. When you know it's impacted somebody's eternity, you'll do whatever it takes. You'll move heaven and hell to make that difference in their life. And a lot of times, I get to see that, and you guys don't. Because your heads are down and your eyes are closed. And I'm sorry that you don't get the benefit of always knowing that. But please, please, please know that those people gave their life to Jesus last week because somebody ran a computer and put a verse on a screen so that verse could speak to their heart. Because somebody welcomed at the front door and said, I'm so glad that you're here today and helped bring that wall down where they could feel comfortable, even though it may be an uncomfortable thing, it may be an intimidating thing, it may be a thing where their anxiety was up because somebody had coffee ready at the coffee bar and so they could have that coffee and not wake them up so they can actually hear what God's saying so they're not falling asleep, right? Like somebody did something that brought them to a place where they were ready to receive from Jesus. That's why we serve. You're blessed because you serve. God's got a blessing for you. And I know there's going to be a whole list of things that made a difference in somebody's life that you had no clue about. That you had no idea about. That I had no idea about. And God's going to be like, you did this, and you did this, and you're blessed for this, and this jewel's for this. And you will be like, God, I had no clue. (laughs) No clue. It was a rough week this week. It wasn't my favorite week. And Friday, I got two phone calls from people from deep in my past who had no clue how much I needed those calls. And each of them, out of their own mouth, shared ways that I had made a difference in their life years ago. But I had no clue about. It wasn't because of something I did on a stage. Something that happened in a one-on-one encounter, an opportunity that we got to, to hang out, where God used that in a big way in their life. And I had no idea. And God, in his goodness, knew I was having a rough week. And they literally called at the same time. I was talking to one when the other one called. Uh, and I had to call the other one back. But I had two just back-to-back conversations in the middle of a really rough week. Man, I want you to know God used you to do this. I'm like, I had no clue. I don't know how many opportunities I'm going to have to hear conversations like that in heaven. Or how many you're going to have. Or somebody's going to come to you in heaven. You had no clue the difference you're giving me. No clue the difference you're serving made. No clue the impact you made teaching them in a class when they were four years old, when their parents were going through a divorce, and you didn't even know their parents were struggling. But they needed somebody who loved them. They needed somebody who was stable. They needed somebody who was there in their life. It's an incredible, incredible blessing when we serve. Thank you, guys. Lastly, number six, serving blesses the one we serve. And that's Jesus. Serving is a blessing to him. Ephesians six, seven, and eight says it this way: it says, "Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do." Let's go ahead and keep the lights up. I want to want to honor some people real quick. Sorry, I know you, I told you to turn them down right there, so that's that's my bad communication. Here's what I want to do: I want to do something a little different this morning, guys. I'm going to make all the introverts in the room hate me. Um, I'm going to have every one of our teams stand up and honor each of our teams for just a minute. Celebrate the people who make this thing happen. So don't do not do the, I'm going to be the humble one thing and let people clap for other people. Like, please just humor me and you can hate me later. Uh, but but just stand up. Let, let, let our church honor you for the way that you serve us, for the things that you do. So if you serve in Kid City, would you stand up so we can celebrate you and honor you? Come on. <laughs> as a father, as a pastor, thank you for what you do. You guys can... Have a seat. If you serve in First Impressions, Mr. Dwindle, if you guys would stand up. Uh, That's First Impressions. That's ushers, greeters, coffee bar, any of those areas. Uh, If you serve in those ways, come on. Let's give it up for these people. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. If you serve in our media team, uh, the media computer, the sound booth, uh, lights, uh, any of those, man, if you would stand up. We can honor you. Come on, Brad. And if anybody's going to hate me, that's the team that's going to hate me, so we'll just make them stand a little bit longer because they're the ones that hate me the most. I'm just kidding. You can sit down. Uh, also on that, my wife is in the next room over. She's running video today, and so we've got some new technology, so the video person's not even in the room so they can get a better idea on what it sounds like on the screen and stuff, and so uh, shout out to Melody for serving this morning in the video room. And you serve on our worship team. Would you stand so we could honor you? Now, these people are obviously a little more visible. We see them up front, but come on, let's give it up for them. Thank you guys for serving faithfully, for using your gifts here. If you're serving on our board of elders, could you stand so we could honor you? (laughs) Kenneth and Naomi. And Naomi's really happy because they're the only ones, and she's like, let me sit down. Uh, We love you guys. We're grateful for you. The other ones were in first service. They were at church. So Uh, if you serve on our prayer team, would you stand up? We want to honor our prayer team. That's a brand-new team. It's the newest team at our church, and and in in eight weeks, I've already seen that team make a huge difference in people's lives. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. Uh, And then I'm going to do a catch-all category because we got so many other little areas. Uh, So if you serve in marriage mentorship, if you serve on our photography team, if you serve in cleaning, pre-service, childcare, any other category that I have not mentioned, Mission OB, if you guys would stand up, we want to honor you for the way that you guys serve as well. Come on, Mark. I know we can at least honor you. I know, Risa, you don't have to stand up. Well, thank you, guys. We got a lot of people that make this thing happen. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. I don't tell you enough how grateful I am. I want to do a better job of that. But from the very absolute bottom of my heart, we couldn't do this without you. Um, you bless so many people when you serve. So, so many people when you serve. Uh, and God's using you to make a mighty difference. Let me say very, very quickly. If you're not involved, if you didn't stand up on one of those, this is not the two and the ten, right? We're not dividing. Like, here's the good people over here who love Jesus, and here's the people who need to get right before they go to hell. That's not today's message. But what today's message is, is we got opportunity for you. We are making room for you. If you're not yet involved... We would love to talk to you about what that could look like. If you haven't gone through the discovery process, it starts next week. You can find out, hey, is this the place for me? Is there What kind of opportunities do you have to serve? If you've already gone through that and you, maybe you're taking a break, maybe you need to continue that break. Maybe it's time for that break to come to an end. Um, I would just ask if you're not involved and this is your church home, start praying about how can I get involved? How can God use me to serve again? This ain't the only place that God wants you to serve. This is the only way that God wants you to serve. He's got so many serving opportunities for you. But I believe it starts here, that we can start learning it here because it's easy, because there's a team. Because out there a lot of times you're going to have to serve by yourself. Out there you're going to have to make the decision. You're not going to have somebody coaching you and and training you and putting you in position. You're going to have to just hear from God on your own. And so here is, is a great safe spot to start, to get that ball rolling and to see how God can use your gifts. Would you guys stand with me as we close in prayer today?